Morning, everybody. Welcome, and uh, it's good to be here. And uh, as you uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, that would be great. As you go there, I just want to um, take a moment. Thank you for your prayers and support for our family as we went to University of Virginia Cancer Center this past week, and we're grateful and praise God for the clarity we received and uh, some of the direction of how to proceed. And, um, and so we thank you so much for all that you've done for us, the family, and continue to do, and just wanted you to know uh, your prayers are being answered, and we're so, so grateful for that. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47, exciting time in the life of the early church, we get to see some of the stuff that was shaken. Verse 42, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place for the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. They had all things in common. They began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. The Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your work in our life. We recognize this morning that it's not just on Sunday morning, this whole week. Every single day, you've been working. You've sovereignly orchestrated the circumstances of our life. Lord, you continue to teach us in so many different ways what it means to follow you. I pray this morning, Lord, that any other agendas or issues or plans would be set aside so we could hear you. Because it's you we desperately need to hear with the multiplicity of voices that shout to us day in and day out. Might your voice this morning be clear, crystal clear, as we open your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we looked at the unity of the church and discussed that as Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus, he told us God has a plan, and that it's originated from the creation of the world, even beforehand. And we're told that it's going to be consummated when the time reaches its fulfillment. And that this plan has an orientation, it's already set in motion. And that Christ is going to bring all things under his headship when he is crowned king of kings. He went on to talk about this doctrine of ecclesiology, the church, and what it means, that we are called out ones. And we're going to look a little bit more about that this morning. There's a, a story about a ship that was uh, sailing, and because of the weather that was moved off course a little bit, and as they moved off course, they were in waters they don't normally traffic in, and, and they looked and they saw an island, and they figured they better set 
sail on it. As they got a little closer, they could see all these buildings on it, and so they knew it was inhabited, and they pulled over and, and uh, alongside the shore, got out. Some of them had to swim a little bit, but they got there to the island and looked around. They found a man, and, and uh, they communicated with him and said, hey, we want to know if this island's inhabited. It looked like it is, and he says, yeah. And they said, how many people are here? He goes, well, just me. And they questioned him a little further and said, well, it's just you, and how long have you been here? He said, probably about 25 years. They said, we're a little confused. There's these, you got these very nice buildings built, and it's clearly newer than 25 years. What's going on here? He says, I'm a builder, and I build. And so I built these nice buildings. I haven't had anything else to do. And I built these nice buildings. And, and they were just kind of an awe. It's great craftsmanship. And they, they pointed to one and said, what? Which one's that one? It's very large. And he said, that's my house. He said, wow, it's, that's really nice. And they looked a little farther, and he said, what's that one? That one's, that one's really, really nice. He said, that's the church I built. And they're like, wow, that's, that's really neat. How many are in that congregation? He goes, well, just me. I, I'm it. So you're the only guy on here, yeah. And you built a church, right? Yeah. And I'm the only member. He said, What's that one on the other side of that church? He kind of heed and hawed a little bit, and he said, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> you know, we, we laugh, and we should. It's kind of funny. Um, but if we contemplate that story a little bit more, it really reveals confusion for many. And that is kind of the, the thesis as we draw it together, that the church is not somewhere we go. It's something we are. The church is not somewhere we go. It's something we are. The scriptures are filled with corporate images. And nowhere is clearer this than the image of the church. The church is described in some examples as a building in Ephesians 2.11, a temple in 1 Corinthians 3.16, the bride, 2 Corinthians 11, multiple places in the New Testament, the body of Christ. We've already noticed last week about the significance of belonging together in Christo or in Christ. This is profoundly connected with a New Testament understanding of body and the contrast between being one in Adam and one in Christ. And deeply rooted in the Old Testament and Jewish thinking is this concept of a corporate personality. When one figure seems to represent the whole community. In a premium of this spiritual community called the church, unity is significant. That's why we talked about it last week. Once you were a people, but now you are the people of God, 1 Peter 2 says. And no wonder the plural use of you is used throughout the New Testament. It peppers the New Testament as people are addressed collectively. This, I guess you could call usness of the gospel, does not allow believers to respond individualistically and evade faith's corporate dimensions. And perhaps the image that most clearly communicates and we can resonate with the most is that of a family. A family. Because the church is not somewhere you go. It's something we are. We're a family. Now, in the book of Acts, which we read, we kind of read in a sense the DNA of this family, what made up this family. We're told in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 42, that they, who's being they, this early, the early church? 
Now the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, the Holy Spirit blew through Jerusalem like a gale from heaven. And a family was born that day. The church of Jesus Christ. And as the first cries of this infant church echoed through the city, these early Christians displayed their dependence upon God and one another for survival. And they were a tight group. You see, they had to be. Persecution and ostracism stifled financial independence. And survival necessitated closeness. Now, if we look at this text, we know that there's four relational activities to which these new believers committed themselves. And each one of them is crucial to the healthy development of the church, of this family. One was teaching. Jesus entrusted his baby church to the care of the apostles who fed them. The pure milk of the word. The apostles, they spoke the gospel. And they preached it from the authority of God himself. And their words were confirmed by miracles. And the believers then responded to God's presence and provision, as we read in the text, with a sense of awe of all that was going on. They'd get up and walk out of their house and, and talk to the person here and here, and they would be in awe of what God is doing. Not just a one-time awe. It was a continual mindset. It was a continual state of the early church they were in awe of what God was doing. And this early church shows you and I what a healthy family, what a healthy Christian who is hungry for biblical truth looks like. A solid, disciplined intake and application of God's truth. There was a constant intake of teaching. There was consistency in teaching. In other words, there was a sense of intake. But there was also a concentration in this teaching there is application. The health of a church is related to these two components of the individual's intake and application of God's word, and that was taking place in the early church. If it was lacking in individuals, if it lacks in individuals this sense of hunger, this application of God's word, there will be a lack of robustness in the church. And the early church modeled for us what spiritual hunger looks like in the corporate dimension of what it looks like when God's church is hungry. And so there was teaching. There's also, we are told, fellowship. Verse 42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now those first Christians, this first family we see, put flesh on what they were being taught by reaching out to each other. Fellowship. How did they relate to one another? As a family. That's how they related as a family, as brothers and sisters. That's why you read throughout the New Testament, Paul addressing such and such as a brother, such and such as a sister, because it's this concept of family. They liquidated property and other possessions. They channeled their proceeds to the needy among them. Why? Because they were a family. And that's what families do. We're also told that they broke bread together in verse 42 and verse 46. This, this early church, this family, broke bread. It refers to that sense of sharing of meals. They, you see, they had roast chicken and potatoes you could smell when they got together. And they did so frequently. They also probably includes a sense of observance of the Lord's Supper. They were a family. 
They spent time together. Why? Because well, that's what families do. They spend time together. Uh, just by way of application, you don't have to answer out loud, but it'd be good for introspection. Who from the family of God have you invited over lately? Who have you taken intentional steps to say, you know what, I, I'd like to get to know my brother or sister better? What, what steps have you taken, I wonder? And have you been invited over to others? I mean, that would be a good sense of balance, and I hope that's the case, as I tell my kids a lot. Uh, you want a friend, be a friend. And so if you want to get to know your family in Christ better, well, invite your family in Christ to get together. Uh, that's how you do it. And uh, they broke bread together. They spent time together. There's also prayer, we're told at the end of verse 42, into prayer. And this just isn't a little side note on the end. This is significant. You see, rising from their gatherings along with the baking of bread was prayer. There were heartfelt praises, heartfelt prayers lifted to God. And what an outpouring of thanksgiving these early Christians must have demonstrated in response to all that God was doing for his forgiveness, this inexhaustible supply of how he met their needs, the power of the Spirit at work. We kept looking at the end of verse 70, and there were added to their numb day by day those who were being saved I, I almost get this sense of and i kind of use it often is they just hung on <laughs> i mean god was doing so much they just hung on and they praised him and they joined together in prayer and i don't don't miss the link result of their prayers where many were being saved god was using and hearing their prayers and it was part of the dna of the early church it's what made it up and these four crucial activities were key to them growing as a family God wanted them to, and they still are. They gathered for discipleship, for fellowship, for worship, and for prayer. And here's where it comes a key principle. The effectiveness of their family gathering determined the effectiveness of their mission. Don't miss that. The effectiveness of their family gatherings and, the, and what took place there was directly tied to the effectiveness of their mission and reaching out with the gospel. What about today? Look inside the, predominantly into the window of many early church, or, or I should say evangelical church ministries today, you'll see one or more of these activities. In Acts 2, 42-47 taking place, you can look through Elam's ministry and others, and you see all these elements, and that's good. The reality is, my experience, no church has a perfect balance of all four. That's difficult to pull off, it seems. But to me, if there's one that seems to lack sound fellowship, it almost seems like nailing jello to a tree, it's this idea of fellowship. In some cases, we've reduced it to entertainment. In some cases, we've reduced it to potlucks and said, we showed up together, so we must have fellowship. But authentic Christian fellowship, authentic families interact in different ways. You see, there's ingredients, there's significant things that are part of those gatherings. And to bring fellowship, what it means to be a family into clear focus, there's three truths we need to consider if we're really to understand what we're talking about here. One is the church as a family includes all believers. Now that might go without saying but we need to say it. Verse 40 through 45 of Acts chapter 2, you'll notice the word all. 
All those who believed, all those who were in Christ, all those who came to faith in Jesus Christ, called Him Lord and Savior, all those are part of the family of God, and all those were active. A family of God includes all believers. While there's no distinctions, this idea of fellowship is a family environment, and it's available to all. Yet we don't ever see it forced on anyone. It's just they, they, they knew when they came into faith that they were a part of something much greater than themselves. And that they were included, young and old. No matter what status of life, no matter what race, they came into a family, the family of God. It was God's design. It was God's desire. It always has been. But involvement in it, that's our choice. You often hear the expression, that's my church. I go to that church. That's the church I belong to. But the reality is, as a family, we belong uniquely to Christ's. It's his family, he being our father, the head. And he builds his church family. He's the one who's building it. As a matter of fact, so powerful is what he's building, and we're told the gates of hell shall not prevail against this family. That's good news for us, and it seems like hell's having quite a, a, a free-for-all lately. Um, but the family that he's building, this church, is going to have an impact and an influence as we walk in his power. The church as a family includes all believers. Another principle of truth that's important is the church as a family, it held believers together. We see it there. They were together. Verse 44. There's a sense of glue, stickiness. That was a part of verse at uh, chapter 4 verse 32 says the congregation of was of of one heart and one soul I call that intimately connected this closeness came in the midst of great diversity and it resulted in a consistent fellowship I don't read anywhere anybody saying I'm not going to church <laughs> because they did they were the church they were part of it, no matter where they were at. They were always part of the church, and they recognized that. Matter of fact, if you study church history, this whole idea of going to church never really came in until Constantine started to muddy the waters a little bit. But this whole idea of going to church, up to that point, there was no concept of a location at church. It was a people. And that's the early church, and it must stay that way, that perspective. No one stood on the outside waiting for someone to come get them, in Christ, they knew they were part of a family, and they were together. Another truth is the church as a family met the needs of believers. Chapter 2, verse 45, as anyone might have need, they gathered to meet real needs, not just to fill a social chamber, social calendar. And the call to Elam mission is to be a family on a mission. Both. We're to be his family, because we are, everybody included, all of us on a mission that he sent us to God's desire is that his family would grow multiply and have a huge impact in our communities but as I thought about families and thought about how does it what makes up a church family because it's not automatic we don't just show up and say wow we're really growing as a family I thought of my family in their home and then, and thought well okay scripture is pretty clear on some ingredients that make up a church family, that, that, that helps us understand what it means to build a church family. 
And so as we go through these, I want you to see how you're doing in each one. I was watching the football game the other night and noticed the cheerleaders, how in sync they were in their cheers. And if you're going to be a cheerleader, you need to know the cheer. You can't have six of them over there doing their thing and then you're over here going, not know what you're doing. You're not part of the cheer. You're kind of totally out of sync with it. And when that happens, the cheer gets kind of fuzzy and the message gets fuzzy at best. If we're going to be a family, we need to know the cheer. We need to know what builds up this family and what keeps the message clear. The first thing, not surprising, these aren't rocket science, by the way. Uh, These are scripture, but I, I think that in a sense they cause us to step back and check ourselves. That's my prayer. It's not that you, you think, oh man, I, I know this, but that you stop and look inside. We all need to do that. The first ingredient or the first way to build up the body and keep our message clear is love, not, not surprisingly. But I don't mean a fickle love. I don't mean a love like the world has. Not a selfish, not a shallow love. Not I'll love you because, not I love you if, but I love you, period. I love you, period. I wonder, do, do you love like that? You see, love is more than affectionate feelings. It's a foundational attitude. It means seeking the good of others. And love surfaces in a multitude of activities. A word of encouragement. A listening ear. A timely embrace. At times, the loving word of correction. But that's intentional. I, I found a great example not surprisingly, in the Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 through 18. Listen to what Paul says about how some brother helped him. You're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Wouldn't that be horrible? I mean, to be ministering and to have people just turn away, he probably must have felt a sense of aloneness, among whom are Phygelus and Hermonagus. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisphorus, for he often refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chains. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. Oh, the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. What a great thing. He sought out Paul. He refreshed him. That's love. I mean, what was in it for this guy? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Matter of fact, there's probably danger to him. But he went and searched out Paul. And in essence, he he told him, I love you, Paul. He refreshed him. What a great, great example. In all cases, there's an underlying attitude of love that says, I value you. I accept you. I love you, period. Love. A huge, huge element of what it means to be a family. Another one is humility. Paul says in Philippians 2, 3 through 8, I'm going to read this in a wedding later today. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. You see, as as God's family, we have a perfect example of humility. Jesus. 
The blooming of a close church family cannot thrive in the soil of pride. It's only when we serve one another as brothers and sisters can we experience really true fellowship of a family. How do you really view yourself in relation to others? Who do you talk about the most in your conversations? Is it you or is it the other person? How do you approach other people who maybe can't give you anything? Or standing alone? Do you show humility? Or can't you wait to get your perspective out? Humility is expressed in so many different ways. And humility has its greatest impact when it's quietly demonstrated. It's seen in listening to other people. It's comfortable receiving as well as giving. But humility must be expressed before joyful fellowship can come. It's huge. Humble yourselves, the Bible calls us to do. So we have love and we have humility, two huge necessary parts of what it means to be a family. But not surprising, there's another one. It certainly is tied to the first two. It's called forgiveness. Matthew 5, 23 through 24, Jesus is speaking. He says, if you're presenting your offering at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and present your offering. That's pretty clear. There needs to be forgiveness in operation with your brother, with family, and forgiveness. But the reality is even the best families consist of sinful people, right? I mean, we're, we're going to offend each other, we're going to hurt each other because we rub shoulders with each other in such close, intimate ways. But forgiveness needs to be a part of it. Freely forgiving is how God's family works. Bitterness, unforgiveness is not. Matter of fact, Hebrews warns us and says that, see, that no bitter root grows up to defile many. In other words, bitterness spreads. But so also does forgiveness. A forgiving attitude that permeates the family of God. I have a deep conviction that to refuse to forgive is an affront to the cross. The cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, which we gather around. Forgiveness needs to be a part of our family. And Scripture teaches us confessing our sin to one another and freely forgiving each other's shortcomings. God is glorified in our midst when we interact that way. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving each other. How? Just as in Christ, God forgave you. He's writing to a church, to a family. Forgiveness. I love a church sign I came across a while ago. Go, it says, welcome to our church, forgiveness required for assembly. That's pretty good. Forgiveness, important ingredient of a church family. At this point, let me say, I hope that we don't expect perfection of each other. I hope we expect the best of each other. I like the expression, it helps me when I can't trust someone's hands, trust their heart. Whereas when I can't understand maybe what they're doing or why they're doing it, trust their heart. It has saved me, I convinced, a lot of heartache, a lot of sleepless nights. But be quick to forgive. Because that's what families do. They forgive. Galatians gives us another ingredient. Restoration. You see, members of God's family will make mistakes, will wander. Some will. And when they do, we should strive to lovingly guide them back to fellowship. 
Indeed, it's their choice. But we are to seek to restore such a one, as Galatians 6 tells us. And detecting the urge to wander really requires us taking a genuine, genuine interest in other people. If we're closely knit with others in the family, the odds are pretty good someone's going to recognize in you or you're going to recognize another this sense of drift before they get too far. That's why we need each other. That's why we need to be connected on deepening levels. Restoration is a key part of what it means to be a family. We should seek to restore because that's what families do. Another one is encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. I mentioned this last week. I don't think I can mention it enough. It seems some believers have this, disc of, this gift of discouragement. <laughs> I don't know if it's because they make themselves feel better or bigger by putting others down, but that's not God's family. That's not how God's family works. And encouragement's expressed in so many different ways. It is, and you can probably think of ways that you were encouraged. It could have been a note, it could have been a hug, it could have been somebody dropped off something at your house, you were in a hospital, somebody visited you, and, uh, and, and you were encouraged. And I have to say this, Elam, you're, you're good at this. I, I don't speak to a church family that's struggling in this area. And so my exhortation is keep it up. Do it even more and more. It's oil to the way we as a family work, just like it's oil to a marriage as well. Heap the encouragement on. Encourage one another as long as it's called today. Now, as you look at these ingredients, as you look at this list, which is not exhaustive, I'm sure, but is there one that emerges in your spirit as lacking? Is there one ingredient you're like, I think I've, I have those operate in my life, but this one, I think I prayerfully need to work on. And each of these is intentional. If you look at it, there, there's ways we need to express it. And so it's intentional. It calls you and I to be more intentional. Now let's wrap this up. Time getting away from us. When we talk about the future at Elam, we need to put a priority on this idea is the family is what we are, not where we go. We'll have discussions in the future about a building, and, and some of those discussions are great, and we, they're needed, but the reality is let's not mix it up. The family is what we are. It's not where we go. And if God has called you here, it's a call to commit to a family. I heard this crazy story. It still boggles my mind yesterday. Uh, Navy was playing a football game. And, uh, and as they're playing a game, their starting quarterback early in the game went down with an injury. Now, this is unusual, but one of the coaches went to the stands, called a guy out of the stands, took him to the locker room, got him dressed, and brought him back on the field. He wound up having to play the fourth quarter. I'm like, I've never heard of that. That's hilarious. And apparently he was a fourth string, and you know, he kind of been cut a little bit, but all of a sudden they needed him, and there he was on the field. And, and so he was called out of the stands to the field to participate. I guess maybe that's what I'm doing. Some of you are in the stands. You're like kind of on the edge and looking around, watching the family, maybe a little critical of it, maybe to see. But God says, you know what, get out of the stands. You're part of this family. You need to operate that way. You need to be expressing these ingredients. And so if that's you, then consider this call your call this morning. And so here's some great applications, I think, that are helpful 
that will help us as a church go beyond just being nice. There's a lot of churches that are nice, but they don't act like families. And so here's a couple things. Very intentional, by the way. Get to know your brothers and sisters. How do you do that? Spend time together. If someone's newer, you don't know them well, get together with them. Maybe go out to Dairy Queen or invite them over or just go bowling together. But do something to get to know your family better. Number two, reach out to your brothers and sisters. Meet some needs. Support by your presence. Don't wait for other people to do it. You take the initiative. Because that's what families do. So get to know one another. Reach out to one another. And this is not only a personal, but this is a corporate application. Number three, let's refuse to settle for Elam being anything other than his body, his family, on a mission. A called out community. We are a family to be a part of what Christ is building. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. A family. Let's pray. Father, um, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in our lives by the power of your word. I thank you, God, your word cuts through misconceptions. It cuts through strongholds. It tears them down. It helps us understand truth, reality. And Lord, I got a feeling that there's many in this room who are so grateful even this moment as they bow, praising you for being a part of your family, a child of God. And I believe many here are grateful as they look around this room for their brothers and sisters in Christ. Extremely grateful. And God, you could have saved us and could have let us loose as individuals to try to figure it out, but Lord, you, by your mercy and grace, planted us as a part of a family. Help us to do our part to build up the family. Help us to be loving, God. Help us to act in humility and to be forgiving. Lord, to seek to restore those who may be starting to drift. Lord, to be encouraging to one another. Help us never forget that a family is who we are, not where we go. So, Lord, we praise you for your word. We praise you for your spirit and what you're doing in Elam. We pray you continue to use us in the communities you've called us to be. We love you, Lord. We honor you and worship you as our head. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.